In the following live session recording, John Oliver, youth pastor with Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia, talks about connecting in the community. John has a heart for reaching influencers of students through campus ministry and helping leaders leverage their uniqueness in reaching students. In this session, the listener will discover how to grow the kingdom and your church by being an influencer in your community. Let's join John now. So what would you guys say, and not everybody has to answer this, but if you feel comfortable with it, what would you guys say is your biggest ministry win within the last year when it comes to students? A win is just something that's worth celebrating. Well, on me, so really. Okay. So a win would be that Amy is now serving with you. That's right, and right? she's been so enthusiastic. It's just, right. it's, I, I really just loved it, you know, right. to just come in really enthusiastic. This made me, you know, right. perk up a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. One of the things I'll tell you is, that's the hardest, one of the hardest questions I ever have to answer. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you yeah. I, I, I served on a staff, a youth staff at a church, and it had a big youth, and it was uh, hard, and I mainly te- would teach Sunday school. But I learned something at that church. Uh, if you want to really grow your students, you put them to work. Mm-hmm. And um, so the church I'm at now, I'm the pastor. And I have a youth minister now, but I, I went through a time where we didn't have one. And my wife is still currently helping with it. And it's good to have a staff because you don't want everything on you. You want to have people you can lean on because you need relief sometimes because they right. can worry about. But we just did a backpack drive for our uh, county. And um, we fully stocked our backpacks with everything the county required in each school in every grade and it was a job and it cost a lot of money but and we're a small church too but we had uh, many uh, businesses that chipped in to help us out awesome. and um, we used the students serving the students that came and got backpacks mm-hmm. and that's an eye-opener to them of serving mm-hmm. and it I don't know that it'll ever grow our church but they knew we were there right. and our students got to serve so I think when you get them to serve, you really show them what ministry is about. You know, right. they see, they get to be a part of something. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's where I come from with it. I'm just here, though. I'm no, just, that's absolutely a win. Right. Yeah. This past weekend, you're talking about that 10%, I guess it kind of goes on. We're, we're running probably, you know, like I say, that church had dwindled down to 20 to 30 people in a, in a, half, in a $5 million church. So it looked kind of like it was... Mm-hmm. You had enough people in a room like this, but this past weekend, um, we were expect we had a, a mini youth quest, just a day for the kids, out you know breakouts, foods, all that kind of stuff. We expected 20 kids, 200, 250 people, 20 kids. We were like 80. Wow! Um, so wow! And one awesome. time, me and a couple of the other people just said, "Hey, invite a friend." Right. And didn't really, because we have some people who are like, man, we don't really want to pull in kids out of the community. The church I served at before, we were a huge homeschool church. Mm-hmm. And we had people leave the church because it was so around homeschool that people didn't feel comfortable. Now, this church, I mean, we're a homeschool family, but, I mean, the kids went to their school and like that. I mean they brought in 40 plus kids that day so yeah we're out like scrambling to get more food and you know things like that that was a, that was a big win that's huge yeah. that's the the situation I just stepped into a year ago was it was very much catered to homeschool I mean the youth pastor there would schedule youth events during the day 
when the public school kids couldn't go, mm-hmm. and it was uh. like, I got there and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So, yeah, like we can do both. <laughs> you don't got just one, but I think the biggest thing with wins is um, keep track of those things. Um, remind yourself of those things. Celebrate those things in front of your people. Uh, Robbie Gallaty is a pastor at Long Hollow, and he said something uh, a long time ago that has just stood out to me. But he says, what we celebrate, we replicate. And if we can create a culture where we are celebrating things, uh, celebrating students' accomplishments, you know, bringing <coughs> friends, new leaders, those type things, serving in the community, getting to open their, uh, their worldview up, if we can continue to celebrate those things, we're going to continue to see those things happen. And it's going to create a culture within our student ministries where we feel when that stuff doesn't happen. It, and it's easier to notice when that stuff isn't happening. We're able to say, okay, this is kind of what we've seen. All of a sudden, we're kind of falling off here. So what what can we do to change? We need to be celebrating a little bit more. And it's small stuff. It doesn't have to always be the big stuff. It can just be if you've seen a student do something extraordinary. As From even, I think, like when my wife and I got married, my wife was petrified to pray out loud. And when, as her husband, it's difficult for me to balance, like, wanting to celebrate those things with her when she starts to step out of her box without, like, kind of dadding her almost in that moment. I want to celebrate her, support her as her husband, um, but I don't want her to feel like she's a child in those moments. So that's a balance. But when you have a student like that, that you know is uncomfortable reading, you know is uncomfortable praying, and you can say something to them but I would encourage you don't just say something to them that morning go home get a stack of thank you notes go to Walmart go to wherever Dollar General get you a thing of thank you notes and just write them a handwritten note they do not get stuff in the mail that's an easy win that is low-hanging fruit just write them a note and say hey I want you to know I know you're not comfortable doing that it really means a lot to me to see you stepping up and growing that's a growth thing that we can celebrate and that's easy and when they get something in the mail, like I get goosebumps. Yeah. When they get something in the mail, they don't, kids don't do that. Oh, yeah, All I get in the mail is bills, you know, as an adult. So it, it means a lot when we can just have that extra bit of touch of text messages are great, conversations are great, but man, that, that thank you note. Uh-huh. Personal. You know, I think I got, um, I got a note. So my wife and I adopted 10 weeks ago a little girl, and <clears throat> we're actually legally adopting her this Wednesday. Um, she's 10 weeks old today. Uh, we got her when she was less than 48 hours old. So uh, she's totally changed our life and our, my perspective of my job and everything <laughs> just in that short period of time. Um, but I, I got to thank you. Now I got I got a note in the mail, handwritten note from the from the Georgia Baptist Mission Board staff for youth ministry, just saying we're celebrating with you. You know. Like, I put that sucker on my, I'm a 29-year-old man, I stuck that sucker on my wall in my office, because that thing will always be there. Yeah. And, uh, and so that stuff matters. Um, three, what is the biggest hurdle that you see in front of you this year? For me, is is our kids' ministry. We, she, uh, the leader stepped down, and we haven't been able to fill that spot. Mm-hmm. And that affects student ministry, that affects the church. 
And so to me, that's the hurdle we have is finding that person to fill that. And you know you want to do it, but you can't do it all, you know. And, right. And, but you know that's a great need. So that's where we're at. We hit that too. Uh, they gave me a pay raise, and uh, I work, I'm bi-vocational, but they gave me a, a second raise since I've been there in December, and I gave it to uh, the next youth minister because I wanted to see that grow. You know, I, I, did, I could do without it. And uh, I think, I won't say it's helped, but I know it's going to help them because it takes a lot of time and a lot of preparation and I think it'll help them but that's that's one way that I've seen that I could help you know from where I was because when I anytime you ever serve in church you know it's not about money but it sure does help when you take so much you know putting into it and um, so much time away from your family even and uh, that was a way I've seen to help that because we had the same thing happen my, my youth minister was my brother-in-law and they had a divorce and he was—he's still a great minister. We're good friends, but uh, it just broke my heart that he stepped away. Mm -hmm. But God sent another, so we're good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I—I I was trying to relate. I think we're all going to go yeah. through that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, it's but just like when things start, like yeah, it's doing good, and something happens, and it's like the devil. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he'll send the right one. Yeah. Doubt. Same thing. We've got to, uh, we finally budgeted in a youth minister, youth pastor. So they only budget in a part time, though. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I had a lot of calls wanting full time. I was like, I'm not full time. I don't know if they'll give it yeah. to you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm leading the search committee. So, yeah, it's gonna be a, that's going to be a, that's going to be a tough one. Yeah. We've had a we've had a couple guys who just just you know like they just slung into the position and it just wasn't right. So we're they're going to be more diligent this time, but it's going to yeah. that's going to be a hurdle. Yeah, be a hurdle. I'll tell you from experience. I know that uh, Mike and Cameron and and the guys at the George Baptist office like they are they're a big time resource for churches that are looking um, even setting parameters and. So those are, those are great. They've recently helped a friend of mine who's a pastor of the church. He was actually one of my interns who's now a pastor, and it's like, it's crazy to see him in that role because when he was my intern, I was thinking, probably I don't know what's going to happen here. And he is, he's just absolutely awesome. And uh, so to see him hiring, this is, but he's been at the church three years, and this is his third youth pastor. Um, and so he's had some struggle with that position. Uh, but Mike and, and Ricky, when he was there, have been have been great for him. So you, I encourage y'all to lean into okay. to them and even just for advice and sounding board. Anybody else on that one? Biggest hurdle that you see this year? For us, it's um, you know a lot of these kids. I I'm probably the third or fourth youth pastor they've seen in four years. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of why they wanted to go with someone older with more experience. They, you know, the typical youth pastor coming out is looking for how many years till I become a pastor. Right. And for me, it's I'm all about youth ministry. I, you know, I, I have no desire unless God put it in me to be a pastor. Um, so, but but with that, I, I'm carrying all the skeletons of the past. 
um, the, the week before I came, they, went, they were supposed to go to an event, a winter jam. They bought 15 tickets. All these kids said they were going. No kids showed up. So, so I inherited the... And, uh, and, and I guess a big win for us is we went to a, a concert. I actually had six kids go. Six kids sign yeah. up, six kids go. But um, that's, that's another hurdle is, is I want to do so much with them because, you know, I understand a lot of times you can't get, without doing events, you don't get necessarily outreach and other kids coming in. Mm-hmm. You, do, you can do events at the church and do that. But, but sometimes you're, but getting them all together so they experience life together in events and me trusting them enough to know that they'll come if I buy these tickets and then them, I guess, learning to trust me enough mm-hmm. because right. we, we had some of them come say, yeah, basically, they didn't say how long are you going to be here, but it was kind of like, yeah, we're afraid of putting ourselves out because yep. we're afraid of getting hurt again. Kind of thing. You know, it's funny when I was at my first church, um, you know, I was there for six years, and I can remember before me there was um, three youth ministers in that same six-year period prior to me, and so I was dead set on man I'm gonna I'm gonna be here from the first sixth grade class to the last you know till they're done and the Lord made it possible for us to do that uh, we weren't planning on leaving and, and we moved and one of my parameters was looking at another church was that I wanted to follow after somebody who had been there for a while because I had already done the I felt like it was three years before I could make any headway because I had to I had to convince them I'm not leaving yeah. you know yeah. and um, and it, and it did so I went up to this church where the youth pastor had been there 16 years and was stepping into an executive role and thought it was going to be amazing and it was almost harder because that guy, I mean, it was, he had some of my, some of my youth leaders, he was their pastor, he was their youth pastor and uh, the other kids were like, they've always looked at being in his ministry and so they almost resented me for being, so it took me a while there too and then that was huge learning experience and one of the most painful experiences and I'll, I'll get into that with y'all a little bit um, but yeah so I think both sides are um, difficult present their own set of challenges you know, I think my dad always tells me the grass is only greener over a septic tank you know? <laughs> I think we look and it's like oh see so at our church it's kind of been a hurdle for me because, see, we haven't had our youth um, for a while now, and the last youth pastor we had was my son, mm-hmm. and he's twenty, he's twenty-four, and um, and he, you know how the church kind of broke apart and all. Well, he moved to another church, and so here I am now. I stayed at the church, and he left, and I felt like that was where I was needed was to stay. Mm-hmm. No matter what, but anyway, when they asked me that, it was kind of to ask me to do it. It was kind of, it was hard for me to, to. I had to really pray about it because that was my son. He was doing it before me, right? And he's probably better, a lot, ten times better than I am because he's so young and he can relate to him a lot more than me. No, you raised him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's been a hurdle for me. Yeah. What about, you're stepping into a really interesting situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think just going along with what he was saying, like talking about trust and having kids that trust you. Because none of our kids know that Matthew's leaving just mm-hmm. yet. 
Um, and so right now everybody's just kind of like, what's going on? Why is he so, you know, standoffish or whatever? And yeah. I can't just be like, well, look, this is the deal. Right. Um, cause I mean, I know, I know the last day, I know like that kind of thing. And, um, so it's been, it's been really interesting just trying to figure out, okay, so they're gonna trust me right? Like that kind of thing. And like, I know when I first came in, like right before school started, I was like, okay guys, bring me your sports schedules. Like I really want to, like we talked about this earlier, I really want to try to come to some of your events or your drama plays or your course or whatever. Um, and I can remember them looking at me going, you want that? Like, why do you want that? Um, and it was really strange for me because I had always had a youth leader that was asking me for that continuously. Um, and so stepping into a position where things that I was used to is not what they're used to and trying to, like, incorporate that into their daily life outside of the church walls on Sunday and Wednesday. Um, So it's been interesting and it's definitely been a hurdle and a lot of people have asked, why is an intern doing the youth pastor's job or, you know, stuff like that. I mean, what do you tell them? It's not my place to tell them, so I'm just, you know, I have time, I can do it, but school's about to start in two weeks and I can't use that excuse anymore. I think the biggest thing when you're in a situation like that is honor your pastor and love your kids. Yeah. And as long as your pastor's not doing anything immoral, you know, like just honor your pastor and love your kids. And if anybody asks, just direct them to talk to him. Just say, yeah. you know what, I wish I could tell you, but maybe you need to talk to Jason, you know, or yeah. whoever. And, uh, so that would be, mm-hmm. that'd be the biggest thing is, um, um, and don't ever let your, I learned this too, start early, don't ever let your pastor be blindsided by something so if you're if you're having situations like that maybe go to him and say hey uh the brown family is being really inquisitive they're really committed here maybe we ought to pull them in and kind of just let them look under the hood here for a second and kind of talk to them and tell them hey we really need you to lean in here um during this transition like if you can if you can really lean in here and help during this transition that would be that'd be really helpful and so there's opportunity there to handle that um, in a way where your volunteers feel empowered, mm-hmm. like they're a part of the inner circle, and that they feel trusted uh, with that information to be able to then come alongside and help you. So yeah. um, I would do that. All right, so the last one I want to do is, is this. If your church closed its doors tomorrow, what would the community miss? And this will come into play a little bit later, but I want to go ahead and talk through that now. So if you were to, if, if tomorrow is the last Sunday at your church, they close the doors, nobody's there Monday, there's no more ministry happening, it's done. The fellowship and the, and just the, what do you call it, the the habit, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, not the habit, I mean, the, the, the wanting to go to church, right? you know. And, and not being able to go there anymore. I think one thing they would miss that they wouldn't even know, I don't think our community realizes how much we pray for them, like our teachers and our uh, even our fire departments across from us, the colleges across from us, and the police station. We pray just about, I mean, there's hardly a time we don't pray for them, and even the school, you know, and uh, I think that's something they'll never see. Right. But it's really important because I mean, for years I had people pray for me. I I come from Mormonism, my family, and 
Um, I spent many years lost. I was lost my whole life, but of course, and spent many years uh, just doing whatever I felt like. And then God saved me, and there were some people praying. So I think that's the main thing that they would miss that they had no clue yeah. about. I can't count how many times I write my prayer list down because I don't have the best memory. And I can't tell you how many times I wrote down our country, our military, our schools, and our teachers, and our firefighters. Just, and, you know, people overlook those things, but they're really important. They you are. Know? They really are. Uh, that's something I think they would miss that they wouldn't even know. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's very important because I think that's why God reached me. Somebody was praying for me. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. So there may be um, something that your church does in the civic organizations or on school campuses or things that are unique to your DNA and your church that if the doors close tomorrow, that service or that mission or whatever wouldn't be provided anymore. So think about backpacks next year. If all of a sudden you guys were doing backpacks and next year right. you're gone. We get what haircuts too. Haircuts. <laughs> and I, so. I do the see you at the pole. Yeah. I'm not a youth pastor or nothing, but they call me every year. I just love, I, last year was my first year at the grammar school. First time I've ever done it at that school. Yeah. And it's right down from our church. And, and I wanted to send our youth pastor, but they asked for me. Right. And I really, it was humbling to see those kids leave worse, little bitty kids. Right. I mean, it just changed my thoughts. Yeah. And so, I mean, perfect example there. If the church closes the store tomorrow, they don't know who to call next yeah. time that, that rolls around. Very true. Right. Right. True. So, really what we're after on this question and, uh, is what thing outside of being a place to fellowship and a place to worship and, and a place that is covering their community and, and the prayers of, of God's people, outside of those things, what unique thing do y'all bring to the table that, I mean, if it's gone tomorrow, people are going to notice? We do uh, food bank and close um, every Tuesday, and then um, I know I know my youth drop off. I mean, summer's a hard time anyway, but mm -hmm. we have a lot of kids drop off because they no longer cook that Wednesday meal, and mm -hmm. all the kids get to eat free that can't afford it. Yeah, um, and that, I think that's a big plus for them, and that's a big reason why you know we're about 100 um, people in attendance, and we have between 16 and 25 kids, you know, except during summer. Summer drops off to mm -hmm. 8, 9, 10, but yeah. um, bring a lot of kids that don't come but just on Wednesdays because of that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. That's huge. We, we used to give to the, the you, you speak of, uh, you, you just adopted a child. Mm -hmm. We had, um, our church went through, uh, we had several families that have adopted, but we had, a, uh, when I come along, a lot of kids that were in defect and we've always tried to meet needs when they need something and um, one thing that I've done I would recommend to y'all would we that was a good experience we have they do a stewards of children program it's where they just um, qualify you to watch um, defects kids or kids um, it's I want to say it's a certificate it's just uh, it makes you aware of questions that they might ask we had the uh, 
them come and train everybody that work with kids at our church. Darkness and, to light. Yeah. yeah, it's very good, and it's things that you you may know, but you don't know exactly what to do when it happens. And, uh, that was a very big thing in our church that I was glad somebody just happened to mention, and what I thought it was a great idea. I can't remember. If you contact defects, they will. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, you won't. But we had so many foster kids. I had families I couldn't, like, well, I'm their pastor. I couldn't keep mm -hmm. their kid because I wasn't qualified to. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to do that course where they could have a break from them. Yeah. And it really turned out to be a good thing for everybody. Yeah. yeah but, uh, anyways, I don't mean to keep interrupting. Oh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> well, let's, um, I'd, I'd love to pray and then, um, then I've got some things to share with you guys. And, and I'll tell you, uh, really, that last question, if you have just kind of been stumped and a little bit puzzled, that's okay. Uh, first time I was presented with that question, I, I kept digging and digging and digging, and I just was really struggling. And so my hope and my prayer is by the end of our time together today, you're going to have a really clear plan towards knowing that answer and putting things in place um, to where you've been connected to your community, you feel connected and engaged to the community in a way that is unique to who you are, the passions that you have, the heart of your people, and the culture that you live in. Because um, one of the things I really believe that is if God created us individually, uniquely, then I have to believe that He has created His church uniquely. And so each and every church that's represented in here, regardless if we're in the same community or not, God has uniquely placed us in those places with a unique gift set, with unique people, to be able to reach our community in a way that no one else can. And so when there are ten churches in a community, um, yeah, they're all preaching the same gospel, hopefully, but they're all bringing different things uh, that look a little bit more like the body of Christ towards uh, people that are looking outside. So uh, that's my hope and my prayer, and that you guys feel really empowered uh, to be able to to take some things and and move forward and feel encouraged in your job. And so um, let me pray, and then then we'll jump in. Grace, Heavenly Father, we um, God, we come before you, your kids, Lord, and God, we just say thank you for who you are. Uh, God, thank you for your Son Jesus, and uh, Lord for the cross and the resurrection. And Lord, just for uh, students, uh, for students, for families, for student ministry leaders, uh, God, what a privilege we have to, to love on and impact the next generation, Lord, and to make your name famous amongst them. And so, uh, Lord, I pray in these next uh, 30, 40 minutes, Lord, that you would reign in this room, that you would um, just restore the joy of your salvation to us, Lord, as we go about our our business and we go about just uh, the opportunity we have to serve. Lord, we love you and uh, just thank you for this time. Thank you for the men and women that have come today uh, for the giftings that you've given them. And Lord, today I just pray that they would feel encouraged and strengthened in those giftings uh, to go back to their communities and to engage in a way that is unique to who they are, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I, I can remember you have moments in ministry where you have uh, like these they're kind of etched into your heart and etched into your mind where you don't forget those moments. And uh, some of them are good, some of them are bad, some of them are a statement. Like I can remember one of those statements was um, I was sitting in a room and, and a guy named Eric was leading us and he said, 
he's asked me a question. He said, John, would you say, would you agree with me when I say there's a difference between saying I love you and I love you when you do these things for me? He said, would you say there's a difference between those two statements? And I said, well, absolutely. And it was really freeing for me. I think I grew up in a, in a culture in student ministry where I believed that, man, if I didn't go to church on Wednesdays or I didn't go to church on Sundays or I didn't do my devotional or I didn't pray, I felt like God had this checklist for me. And it was, man, I love you when you do these things for me. And I needed to be reminded by my student ministry leader that God didn't work that way. Like those things were great, but that God just said, I love you. And if I could experience that freedom, that was an impactful moment for me. Another impactful moment for me was my first day of Bible college classes. Uh, our professor, there was 30 of us in the room, and he stood everybody up. He didn't frame it in any kind of way, but he just stood everybody in the room up. And he had them stand while he was going through his syllabus and, and kind of instructing us on what the course was going to be. I think the course was called The Journey from Text to Translations. And so it was a real page turner. And it was, uh, it was interesting, but it was pretty boring class. And I remember he looked just like Bob Ross, if you know who Bob Ross is. I mean, he, they could have been twins. And, um, but as he was walking through everything with us, he would just have a couple of us sit not saying anything, he would just ask a couple people to sit. And, and so he's still teaching and we're all still standing and then slowly but surely I sit down and the guy next to me sits down and these other people around the room are sitting down and he gets to the end of class and he's not framed to this in any kind of way and he just says, there's two people left out of the 30 and he says, do you know what I was doing? And we were all like, man, I've got no idea what the heck you're doing. And he said, I was illustrating to you that 10 years from now, these two on average will be all that's left. That two out of 30 would be all that's left. Not just in student ministry, in ministry. And so that's one of the reasons I love hearing if you're just starting or if you've been doing it for 10 years or if you've been doing it for 15 or I know Cody's been doing it for 16 and uh, Larry Lawrence that was the youth pastor here forever that he's like year 49 in student ministry and it, it just it, it's incredible to me and so I can remember that wasn't really as impactful as the thought I had next was well I know I'm going to be one of those right after that it hit me everybody in this room thinks they're going to be one of those or they wouldn't be here they wouldn't have paid the money for this class and so for all 30 people in that room to sit there and think, man, 10 years from now, I'm going to be one of those two. And I knew four other guys that were in that class with me. And, and I can tell you that one of them, um, every time him and his wife got pregnant, they had multiple kids. He can't afford to be in ministry vocationally anymore. And so he, he does volunteer. Um, and, and that's incredibly impactful. I'll tell you... Um, just to speak into that for a second, I didn't have a student pastor growing up. Uh, at three different churches when we moved, I didn't have a student pastor. I had, I had volunteers. And to this day, the most impactful person in my life has been a sixth grade Sunday school teacher named Mark Christopher, who was the first guy outside my father to tell me he loved me and I believed him. And he still lives in Baltimore and I talk to him once a month. Uh, and so regardless of what your role is, um, it matters. And we need to be telling our volunteers that they matter in that way. Um, 
I call him and tell him everything. Um, when it when it comes time for big things in my life, he's my first person outside my dad I talk to. Um, so he's volunteering. Um, the other one, he's no longer in ministry. He walked away from it. Um, same with the other. And then the last guy has walked away from the faith completely. Um, and so he, he no longer claims Christ. He no longer anything. And so those are just the ones I know of. And March will be 10 years for me. And I've been working towards that for, since that moment, I can remember, I want to be one of those two, I want to be one of those two. But in 2018, um, I didn't think that would happen. And so we were at a church in Nashville, and it was incredibly challenging for us. It was high-capacity leadership. It was a lot of students. It was big church in a really metro area and one of the things I had really underestimated was the, the the learning curve of going from rural Georgia to metro Nashville and I just thought Southern Baptist Southern Baptist it doesn't matter I can I can pick it up you know I can learn it um, but one of the things I really underestimated uh, were these things I always knew what my passions were I had to relearn the heart of the people and I had to relearn the culture the church was in and the reason that they were in that place. And so that was a huge learning curve for me. Really felt like that was the place we were supposed to be. God had convinced us. We knew that we were supposed to be there. Uh, to this day, I knew we were supposed to be there. Uh, some of the best ministry I've ever experienced in my life and things were really going great for us and then we had a new, uh, new executive pastor had come in and within two months we we bought a house in January of 2018 and two months later they fired me along with four other people brought me in the room and said how was your vacation how was your time with your family all right we're gonna part ways today and I was blindsided I mean, we had literally just bought a house. We were settling in. We were ready to go. I just had a bunch of kids over for the Super Bowl at, at our house, and things were going great. But the business end of what they needed to accomplish with a new administration was not what they were. I, we didn't fit in that. And uh, I think a lot of it was they were. I was the only full-time person on the next-gen staff, and they were able to take two of the other next-gen people take their salary and put it together with my salary and make three full-time people at lower points and be able to staff that church more efficiently. But that wasn't the story that was told to everyone else. And we were pretty much told, you keep your mouth shut, you keep your money. And so we were in a point where we wanted to honor the Lord and honor what He was asking us to do, and we didn't want to we knew that if we put up a fight that the Lord would uh, not be honored. The truth might have been told, but people that don't have the spiritual maturity to know what's going on would be hurt, and the church would be hurt, and God's reputation would be hurt. And at the end of the day, God impressed on us, your reputation doesn't mean anything, mine does. And if you get drugged through the mud for a season, just make sure I don't. And so we kept our mouth shut, and we moved back to LaGrange, and I didn't want anything to do with ministry ever again. I wanted to be done because I'd never experienced hurt like that. But I had some prior commitments 
that I had agreed to do. I had agreed to speak at a conference. Uh, I had agreed to speak at a summer camp for two small churches in Alabama for some guys that are just incredibly gifted in their in their jobs. And I had agreed to speak at a at a church in Lagrange. And so I needed money. So I agreed to do those things because I needed the cash, not because I felt like I was going to bless anybody, and that was just a heart problem for me. But what happened was not what I expected. Um, I got around students, and it was life-giving. Being able to open God's Word with students was what had kept me going. and. My wife came to me after the first time I'd shared and she said, you realize that the reason that these people aren't calling you back for general jobs, I mean, I had applied to a pizza place just to deliver pizza just because idle time is not good for me. And no one would call me back, even a pizza place to deliver pizza. It's not like I've been making a killing, but no one would call me back. And so Kristen said, the reason why they're not calling you is because God's not letting them call you because this is where you're supposed to be. And so God took us on a journey, and um, what ended up happening is that the church that I grew up in, the youth pastor uh, left to go plant a church, and this was something that had been planned. It was on the books, and they were it was a, it was a good thing for him to go. He's one of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard in my life. I mean, he's unbelievable. And Cody, I had recommended Cody to take my position when I moved, and so Cody had been in LaGrange, and so he and I were talking, and so I called First Baptist and said, hey, they want me to take over as interim. Are you and the staff at First Baptist, are y'all okay with me doing that, or would you rather me look somewhere else? And so uh, we started looking at other places, and anyway, they asked me to go ahead and do Rosemont, so I started my interim at Rosemont. And through that, I thought, this is great, there's no pressure. I can leave if I want to. If someone makes me mad, I can just walk away. There's just no, it's a win-win. It's a and I got to where I was so invested I couldn't walk away. And when they came to me and said, would you just take it? I said, absolutely. I'd have been angry if you didn't ask me to. And so uh, here we are. And I tell you all that to say that God's calling on your life as a minister of the gospel is irrevocable. And when God has placed that in you, regardless of what you do, regardless of if you go and you do other things, that the calling that God has given you to serve students and to serve His people will always be with you, and you can never walk away from that. You can try, but you'll be actively in disobedience. But I learned in that that there's three seasons that we are always in. We're either coming out of a struggle, we're in a struggle, or we're about to go into a struggle. And if that's true for us, that's true for our people. That's true for everyone. And a lot of times, what I learned was that all I saw was my struggle. And because all I saw was my struggle, I thought everybody else only saw my struggle. But what I failed to understand was that everybody else is so busy seeing their struggle that they're not concerned with yours. And we have the privilege of being able to step into their struggle in the midst of ours. And to be able to do that life together and to lean in together. And so that's one of the things that I want to talk to you guys about this, as we talk about the uniqueness in, in campus ministry and uniqueness in our church is 
Genesis 1:27 says that so so God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them, man and female he created them. And I thought, have you ever stopped to consider that point? I think we, re- we read through that all the time when we're reading through the creation story, but there's something in here that should give us pause every time. Is that God created man in his own image. That God uniquely created us. Not just in the way he's gifted us, but he created us with a very strategic, intentional design. That we would be reflections of him in the world. And so because of that, the first thing that I want you guys to write down is that people matter. People matter. Ephesians 2 verse 10 is another one. says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the truth number two, the first thing is people matter. The second is that God considers us some of his best work. Not only do our people and us matter, but God considers us some of his best work. Depending on your translation, it could say masterpiece, handiwork, craftsmanship, workmanship. It means that he took the time not only to uniquely create us, but he spent intimate time doing so. And the third thing from that is that we are created for good works with gifts that are unique to us. What was that last one? We were created for good works with gifts that are unique to us. And so here's something that J.D. Greer said this. is not original to me, but J.D. Greer said something, and we're putting it up on our student building as we repaint stuff. I say this to kids every single week. Do something you love for the glory of God, somewhere strategic for the mission of God. So if we were created uniquely, and God spent intimate time on us, and God has given us unique gifts, then we should do those things for the glory of God, strategically for the mission of God. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 18 and on says, "But, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If we were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So the first truth there is that we are better together. So not only has God created us uniquely, but we're better when we're together. And the second truth there is that God was strategic in the gifting of his people and the placing of them together. That God, when he redeemed us, didn't just redeem us and bring us into a right relationship with himself, but he brought us into a right relationship with each other. And God was strategic in doing that. And here's one of the biggest things I want you to take away from today is this, that because of those things, everyone has something to contribute. Even if you don't like them. Everyone has something to contribute, even if you can't find something for them. So I think about, we had this 80-year-old woman who um, kind of, we had this missions fair, and, and 
serve fair and this lady was walking around trying to find she came straight to the student ministry table and I don't believe that there's an age limit in ministry at all I don't think you retire from it I don't think you're done but this woman it was not her age it was her attitude right she was just she was old she was entitled and she felt like the way I did it should have should not be the way that it needed to be done right she just had a totally different framing of reference point for what I was doing and so she came and she was talking to me and she wasn't just telling me that she wanted to be down there. She was telling me she felt like she needed to be down there to keep an eye on me and make sure that I was doing my job the right way. And so my response was, sure, give me your number. We'll find a place thinking I'm not calling this woman, not happening. And so I went and I talked to our missions person and I was just venting about it because I was, I was just pretty livid because she had given me an earful of what I, what she felt like I was not doing correctly. And that, I'll never forget, it was one of those moments the missions pastor looked at me and she said, it's not your job to tell her no. It's your job to find a way. Your job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so if she's telling you she wants to serve, it's your job as the leader of that ministry to find a place for her to serve. And so I called her and I said, we've got a welcome desk. And I need you to work the welcome desk. But it's going to require some things from you. You're going to have to learn how to use an iPad. You're going to have to learn how to use our software. I'd love to sit down and talk with you and work with you. But I said your primary thing is not getting them to click buttons and swipe left and swipe right. The primary thing I need you to do is I need you to love kids. And so she came down to the youth building on Wednesday nights and she began to sit at the welcome desk and she began to do that role. And I wish I could tell you that it was the greatest thing ever and that it was the perfect fit for her, but it was not the perfect fit for her. But what we were able to determine at that point was she knew from being there for a month that she couldn't continue to do that because it wasn't her gifting. But we were able to transition her to something that was. And so because we called her, we ended up finding a place for her, it just wasn't where we were. But everyone has something to contribute. So these three words right here is what we're going to talk about. And I want you to write those things down. The first is culture. These are, these are going to be some practical ways for us to keep in mind where we're headed, where we're going, and those type things. So. Culture, heart, and passion. So when I say culture, what I mean is the culture of your community. The culture of your community. When I say heart, I mean the heart of your people. And when I say passion, I mean your personal passion. Right, so the culture of your community, the heart of your people, and your personal passion. So the culture of our community could be something as simple as in LaGrange we have this hot dog place called Charlie Joseph's. <laughs> and everybody loves Charlie Joseph's, right? When you have people come in from out of town and they're like, well, I want to eat something that's unique to LaGrange. You don't really have anywhere else to take them. You take them to Charlie Joseph's. Right? The problem with Charlie Joseph's is it's $6 and it's a little gray hot dog. Right? I don't think it's beef. I don't know what it's made out of. I don't think they're supposed to turn gray when you boil them. 
but they do, right? So you're paying six dollars, you're getting this little steamed bun with a gray hot dog, and it's really not that great, but you've grown up on it, right? It's kind of like when, you know, a dog eats dog food because that's all you give it. <laughs> so the dog thinks it's fantastic when they get something other than the dog food. So the culture of our community says that this six dollar gray hot dog is worth your money every time. But somebody from Buckhead that's eating Cheesecake Factory on the weekend coming down there thinks that you're paying six dollars for some junk, right? So you know things about your community that other people don't know. So when we moved to Nashville, there was this place across the street from the church and they made pizza and it was awesome pizza. But I never wanted to pay for it because I thought paying $30 for a pizza was ridiculous. But the people in that town paid $30 for that pizza because they knew Jim, Bob, and Billy, and, and uncles and aunts and everybody that worked there and that owned it and did everything that they needed to do. And they were willing to pay it because that was their culture. Right? I think about my first church I served at. There's this real divide in town between Troop High School and LaGrange High School. It's better now than it has ever been, but they almost didn't hire me at my first church because I graduated from Troop. I wanted to use somebody for t-shirts. They wouldn't let me because guess what? They graduated from Troop. So there's just some different things. By the time I was done there, we were ordering t-shirts from them and that was kind of like a small victory for me. But you have these moments where there's culture that you know, that you understand, that's unique to you. And so while there are challenges in your culture, there are unique opportunities for growth. There are unique opportunities for you to lean in. There's things that you understand that will work, that won't work, that somebody coming in from the outside can't tell you because they don't know the history. And so if I can tell you anything is learn the culture, learn the relationships, learn the civic organizations, learn why things operate the way they do, who's scratching who's back and all of those kind of things. You need to know all of that stuff as you're trying to operate in the community so you know that when you decide to take that shot for ministry that you're hitting the target or at least close to it. Culture matters. And it's something that we need to take into account, right? So we don't want to compete against things when we're planning events. We don't want to compete against things that are landmarks on the calendar for the community. Like for us, LaGrange Christmas Parade. Horrible. Not cool to me. Waste of time. I'm getting hot. I'm getting sweaty. It's 80 degrees and people are asking for hot chocolate just because it's the Christmas parade. But people do it. And so I didn't want to be there, but our church had an emphasis. They wanted to serve free hot chocolate. And so I'm up there sweating. My nanny's off up there serving hot chocolate because guess what? Opportunity for gospel conversation. And it worked. And it worked because it fit our culture. So that leads us into the heart of the people. So the ministry that is unique to your church, right? So I'm not talking about your foreign mission trip partnerships. I'm not talking about if you're in that place. I'm not talking about, well, our church goes to Guatemala every year or our church goes here every year. Those really aren't unique to you because everybody else doesn't do, right? So the things that are unique to you are giving away free haircuts for people to go back to school or to get a job, backpacks, car ministry, oil change for single parents, Laundromat ministry, going up and giving people money as long as you can talk to them while you're sitting there. It's a great thing for youth to do, by the way. I'd take a bunch of quarters, go up there, sit at the laundromat, say, hey, 
can we have a conversation? Ten minutes of your time if you'll just let me pay for this dry cycle. Great evangelism opportunity, right? Meet the neighbors, right? Circle ten miles around your church and canvas those places. Walk up to the door, knock on the door. It's old school. Hey, how can we pray for you today? We're from, we're from, we're from Western Heights. We just wanted to let you know that we're here. And we're here, we're going to pray for your family, right? Walk over to the fire department. Walk over to the school. So is there any specific ways that we can be praying for your staff? Is there any specific, specific ways that we can pray for your firefighters or whoever? I mean, let them, just let them know that they're being prayed for. Let them know. It's not going to make that prayer more powerful, right? We know that. But it's going to open the door for a relationship potentially or maybe something happens and the captain needs to call somebody who doesn't know who to call, he calls you. He says, man, I know you're praying. I heard a lady say, this is a good one, she said that they bake cookies for theirs and they called it loving from the oven. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, pretty good. Cool. And said one season that they didn't do it and somebody asked them, said, where's the cookies y'all always bring? Right. <laughs> Perfect example of if the door closed tomorrow, they that's would right. miss those cookies. Right. It's an opportunity just to let them know. The heart of the people will always impact more than events. The heart of your people will always impact more than an expensive event. You can pay all kinds of money, but if you don't have the heart of the people behind it, it's not going to go anywhere. So invest where the heart of your people is. Get a ton of cookie dough, whatever they need to make those cookies or whatever. Like wherever the heart of your people is, if somebody comes to you and they say, hey, you know what, I have a real heart that I want to see us do. Uh, there's there's a real problem with people not being able to eat dinner, like family kids are going home hungry. And what what can we do? Well, we can get some food together and we can put it in a bag and have the counselors at the school put it in their backpacks, with just a little note to let them know we're praying for them and where it came from. When we send it with them, we can feed kids. Don't take it on. Here's what I'm challenging you with: When people come to you with great ideas, don't say that's a great idea. And then now I'm going to own it. Do not do that. Help them own it. Help those people own it. It will only go and be as effective as the heart of the people. And so if the, they're coming, I can't tell you how many times they're like, man, I got Joe, Bob, and Billy's up at the hospital. It'd be really great if you'd go visit them. Man, that's fine. I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to go pray with them. Why don't you come with me? Why don't you come with me? That God put them on your heart. Why don't you come with me? Whatever the heart, whatever God is giving and impressing on the heart of your people, help them figure out a way to do it. In the same way that we don't want to tell people no, we want to find a place for them to serve. It's not our job to tell them no. It's our job to equip them in those roles. When they're coming to us and saying, man, I want to do this, it's your job to help them figure out, you want to get to Z and we're at A, here's how we're going to get there. Let's work together, let's meet together and let's develop a plan. I'm going to walk with you and then I'm going to release you into it. So I'm going to walk with you. We're going to get the belt. We're going to buy the bike. We're going to get the training wheels on the bike. We're going to put you on the bike. I'm going to walk with you down the road, and then I'm going to rip the training wheels off, and we're going to be running, right? So what that looks like for us is I'm not the person that's leading the laundromat ministry at our church. Somebody like a lady named Pam Sewell came. She said, this is a passion that God has given me. We partner with her. She leads it. So now, hey guys, this is on Wednesday night. Hey guys, Miss Pam's going to be at the laundromat from 8 to 11 on Saturday morning. She'd love for you to be there. 
have her come down and announce it. Personally invite, personally invite. If that is her heart, leverage her heart in that ministry and let her run with it. You do not have to be all things to all people, nor should you be. Otherwise, you're going to be one of the 30, not one of the two. Right? You want to be able to stick around. And then the last thing is this, the personal passions. Your personal passions. So when we are uniquely influencing people in our culture, it's because God has given our church a platform to be able to do things in the culture based off the reputation it has in the community. Right? The heart of the people says where it's going to go. So it can change year to year. It can change month to month. It's whatever God is impressing upon the heart of the people that you're helping them do. And then this is where the fun comes in into student ministry for me. It's when I see my leaders doing those things, my leaders are engaging in those things, but my personal passions. That gives me time to serve the Lord in the ways I want to serve the Lord. Right? When I'm not doing everything everybody else wants the church to do, I get to serve in a way that I want to, and that's given me energy. That's allowing me, that's given, that's given me passion. It's more time to spend with students in the way that I want to spend with students. And the longer I'm in ministry, the more I see that it's not really my desire to walk into a school and sit down with 30 students and have lunch with those 30 students. I want to do that, but I would rather walk into the main office and have meaningful conversations with the people in the main office. I would rather walk down to the field house and have a bag of sausage biscuits and love on some coaches. Right? I'm at the point in my ministry 10 years in where I want to influence influencers. I think it's great that we influence students. It's great that we let them know that we're there. But man, if we can influence influencers, the reach that we can have is so immense and so great. And so God has given me a desire to love on student ministry leaders, but he's also given me a desire to love on coaches and teachers and all of that. Maybe he's given you a door at a specific school. Maybe he's given you a relationship at a specific school. Lean into that relationship. You're not trying to fix them. You're not trying to do whatever. You're just trying to love on them. You're trying, for me, the, the, the door for me with our coaches was, man, I know that for eight hours a day, you do what you don't like to do what you love for three. And so by the time you get to doing what you love, you're exhausted because you've been here since seven in the morning and you have poured and poured and poured yourself out just to get to the point where you can do what you love. And then your family gets whatever's left. Like, I, I see that you're tired. I see that you're exhausted, and I see that this is costing you. How can I, how can our church, how can we come alongside of you and just pour into you? We don't want anything from you. We just want to pour into you. And that has resulted in a monthly coach's breakfast where I just get to come in and I just get to love on our, our men and our coaching staff at one of our schools. Right? I'd love to do that at all the schools, but it wouldn't really be beneficial for me to do that. So I would love for other student ministers to do that at some other schools. But it's got to be their heart to do it. Right now God's given me a heart for this school. He's given me influence in this school. And so that's the school I'm going with. Also, um, I try to have a system in place where I'm not saying yes to everything. So if a student's asking me to come to games, I want to come to games. Absolutely, I want to come to games. I want to go to the Nutcracker. We do it every year. I want to go and support you, you know, because I want to do those things. But 
I've also got a family at home, right? I've also, and, and if I'm not a minister at home first, then I'm not going to be effective in the church, right? So our job, first and foremost, is be a minister at home, then be a minister at church. And so bring your family along with you. Call your school and say, hey, look, this is getting really expensive. See if you can get a pass. See if you can get whatever. They'll let you. Some schools do all sports passes. Um, sometimes they make you pay, but it shouldn't be more than like 100 bucks. And then, But most of the time they don't. Most of the time they'll say, oh, okay, you're a church. Here you go. So great opportunity there to do that. And say you've got 10 kids or you've got 100 kids. If you've got 100 kids, hopefully you've got them broke into groups of 10 and you've got people with them. If you've got 10, that's fantastic. So whatever you do, you need to have enough leaders where your leaders are ones that are going to these trips, going, on the, going to some of these games, going and serving with you and get them connected to the groups that they're with doing life outside of Wednesday mor- or Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, but just equip them to go and to be a part of those things. And my, my rule of thumb is always first come, first serve. So if you get to me first, then I'll come if I can be there. That way, if I've got two things that are competing on the same evening, man, Ellie got to me first. You know, or say I've got kids that are Maybe you get these all the time. Hey, buy your ticket from me. Buy your ticket from me. That's fine. I'll do that. But I'm going to buy the ticket from whoever comes to me first. And not just comes to me first, but has it in hand ready to sell me at that moment. So don't just ask me and then three weeks from now say, hey, I asked you before anybody. But you didn't have it with you. And so first come, first serve protects you. And if they're like, I don't know why you weren't at my kids so-and-so. Well, number one... I don't really have to explain to you why I wasn't at your kid so-and-so. But number two, I was over there watching the Nutcracker for, some, for whoever else because they asked me first. They came to me first. right? And so don't wear yourself out being all things to all people when you're not supposed to be. There's a thing called the Pareto Principle. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's P- P-A-R-E-D-O. Pareto Principle. And basically it talks about in an organization or in the church, 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. So if we are doing what we try to do, we're going to try to do the other 20. That's not what we need to do. We need to be training people to do the 20 so that 100% is getting done. Because if it's left to me and I'm trying to do that 20%, it's not getting done and people are getting upset and people are getting angry and people are getting missed and people matter right? and if people matter then the motivation for me to get people trained is what I need to be focused on and so understand your culture understanding the heart of your people and, and, then you, and then leveraging your personal passion when we can put all of those things together I believe that we're going to be in a great place to connect to our community in a unique way that's unlike any other church and that if the doors closed, people would notice. So, and do y'all have any, what, what I'd love for you to do is take the rest of our time really and just brainstorm about those things. Brainstorm about the things that make your culture unique. Brainstorm about the things that you know right now that you've got people in your ministry that have a heart for those things. And then what are your personal passions? And then how can you then, after, you, after you've talked about that and thought about that and 
I don't, I don't care if you just want to think about that and, and go to the bathroom or whatever, but just think about what are the opportunities for our church? What are the opportunities for our student ministry to be able to leverage these things for the gospel where we live? You know? Like it may not be, it may not be taking 15 kids to Winter Jam. It may be taking 15 kids over to your house and having dinner. You know? What I'll tell you is that kids crave authentic relationships. There's so much in their world right now that is just not real. It's not authentic. And I can't relate to perfect people. And they can't either. And so if we can just be imperfect chasing after Jesus in front of them, if we can just be who we are in front of them, those are the those are the connections that are going to last a lifetime. And so um, I hope that I've given you guys some things to think about and uh, maybe you felt like this was a waste of time. I hope not, but um, I would love to be connected with you because I'd love to hear <coughs> some of your ideas when you go home. Like, hey, this is one of the things I'm going to try to start doing. Call me. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about, man, here are some steps for you. Here are some things that you can be thinking of doing. You know, here are some people you can lean into. Um, again, I want to be a resource for you. I want to be connected to you. I want to know how I can be praying for you. Um, and I'll share those things with you as well. So uh, I'm going to write down my number and my email address up here. And you guys just text me your name and where you're serving.